Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Sfarim Chatter Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be joined by Rapinchas Werner, who is the Mechaber of the Sefer Ketzad Seder Mishnah, so on the structure of the Mishnah and the way to learn it, Balpeh. And uh, we will be talking about the Sefer. So thank you, uh, Rapinchas, for joining me. Thank you, Reb Nachi. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start off. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, I was born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area. <clears throat> I became observant as a young adult, and I ended up learning in a yeshiva in Muncie for several years. As a little bit more background, I had spent some time before that in Israel, working in Israel, living amongst Israelis, and I had uh, studied Hebrew, and I had some Hebrew language skills, so that really helped me a lot when I first went into yeshiva, that that wasn't a... Uh, that wasn't an obstacle to me. Obviously, <clears throat> modern Hebrew is not the same as, uh, as 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 the Hebrew of the of the Mishnah of Rashi of the Gemara, with uh, obviously a lot of Aramaic. But it certainly is better than English in that regard. Uh, so I was in the yeshiva in Muncie for a number of years, and then after I got married, I came down to Silver Spring and learned in Kolo by Rav Aaron Lopiansky for a couple of years. And then, as my family grew, Liain Hara. And my financial options dwindled, uh, I decided to go to law school to try and provide support for my family. And uh, I was able to get a job at the federal government where I've been working as an attorney for the last 13 years. Now, during that time, I've also uh, had the privilege of giving a Gemara share a couple nights a week uh, for members of the community as part of the Dirshu program. Okay, very interesting. So then, so now we have uh, th- this this safer, which, like I said, it, it's on the structure of the Mishnah, and we'll get more into that. I learned about that, which is an interesting topic. How did you get attracted? I guess drawn to the Mishnah, and especially to such a topic that you ended up writing a safer on this. So that's a good question. There are really two parts uh, to the response. There. There's sort of the background part, and then there's the more specific part. So as the background part. Uh, when I first was learning in yeshiva, I had a shear on Mishnayos. And I remember very well the first year that the Rebbe uh, was teaching the, the first Mishnah in the 10th parak of Psachim. And the Mishnah says, Arve Psachim, Samuch Mincha, right on Erev Pesach, near Mincha, Lo Yohol Adam that a person shouldn't eat until it gets dark. And the Rebbe went through just about each one of those phrases, each one of those words, Samuch, what does that mean? He showed how each word was ambiguous. What does Samach mean? Mincha. He explained how there were two, diff- two different minchas, mincha gedola, mincha katana. And what does that mean? Lo yochal. How do we understand that? Does it really mean you can't eat anything? What does that mean? And he really, he went through and he, he showed the ambiguity of each word. And he explained how we could have hints to understand how to clarify what those words meant. And for me, it was fascinating how so much information so much ambiguity and so much subtlety and so much information was packed into so few words. I'd never really seen anything like it before. And I was kind of, blo- I was kind of floored. I was blown away. And it was almost love at first sight with Mishnah. And so they had, they had Shirim there in Mishnayos and I got very into it. So I started, you know, Sadarim. I had Sadarim that was Dafka learning Mishnayos. And so that was sort of the background that I had this real Cheshach for Mishnayos. And then when I came down here to Silver Spring, there was a whole Hevra of people in the Yeshiva by uh, Ravaron who were also very into Mishnayos. I felt right at home. And they were all very into Mishnayos. So we had different types of Seder of Limoni, but it was basically what I would call a standard type of Limoni. You know, we go through the Mishnah, you'd have the Rav, you'd have the Tosos Yontos, some people would use Kahati, some people would use the Tferet Yisrael. 
But that was sort of the background. Now, the specifics of memorizing Mishnayos, uh, which is the subject of the Sefer we're talking about. So that actually is an interesting story. Um, it goes back about a little over 10 years ago. Uh, I was at the time, I had three young children, and we were going for a car ride on a Sunday afternoon in the summertime. And we were driving to some park in the area. And my wife was reading me an article that she had read, or she was telling me about an article she had read in Hamodia magazine. And it was about a, uh, a school bus driver in Eretzisrael who was making a seum on Shas Mishnayos with the students on the bus. So she told me the story. And you know, she knew I was into Mishnayos. And I remember hearing that story and I thought to myself, how does that make any sense? Like, how did he do that? Like, what do you mean? He's a bus driver and he made a seum on Shas with his students in the bus. So I thought to myself, the only way he could do that is if he was memorizing Mishnayos. He was memorizing them and then teaching them to the students as he was taking them to school. Now, I've had a long time to think about that story over time. And, you know, giving, given driving norms in, in Israel, I'm not sure that that was a correct deduction. But nonetheless, at that time, I said to myself, this guy, this bus driver must have been memorizing Mishnayos. And so as a very idealistic young father that I was back then, I said, oh, I have my young kids. I had three boys at the time, Bulea and Hara. And, uh, you know, they're strapped in the car. I can get them to learn some Torah right now. Perfect. So I said, I'm going to try and memorize Mishnahs and I'll teach my kids whenever, you know, sometimes when we're going on a long car trip, maybe teach them a Mishnah. So I don't suggest doing that. Don't try that at home. Because, in, you know, that lasted probably about, I think, half a day. Obviously, my kids were not into it. But uh, I went through the exercise of actually memorizing Mishnah. I started with the first Mishnah in Brachos and I memorized it. And for me, it, it, it really gave me a tremendous simcha. It gave me a geshmak. So I memorized the first Mishnah, and then I said, I really enjoyed it. So I did the second one, and I enjoyed that too. And I said, hey, let's see how much, how much I can do. And I started testing myself and just seeing how far I could go. And then, you know, a couple of days turned into a week, and then a month, and then a year. And, and then here we are, uh, you know, many years later. Okay, so like I said, really interesting story. And then, you, so now somehow this, the, from that story, this turned into a safer So. What's the safer about? I obviously I mentioned what it's about. He said story about Shnayos Hopeh, but give a before we go a little bit more, you know, into the into each part. But what as a brief as an overview, what exactly is the safer about? So I guess in broad strokes, <clears throat> the, the the safer starts from the premise that the Mishnah is Torah Shabalpeh. Obviously, it's not the only thing that's Torah Shabalpeh, but it is a very icker part of Torah Shabalpeh, and that. You know, Torah Shabalpeh means that it was Torah that was memorized, that it wasn't to be written down, it was to be memorized, and uh, that it was memorized in the times of the Chazal. It was meant to be said by memory, and that therefore Chazal structured it in a way that would facilitate memorization. So it suggests different methods that Chazal used in the terms of the way they structured the Mishnayos to facilitate memorization. Uh, then it offers a method for memorizing Mishnayos and retaining them long-term based on different chazals. And it also offers some sort of hashkafa, uh, chizik for this derech alimud. Right. Now you do mention, you do make, I just want to point out, you do make reference in the beginning to when was the Mishnah written and that shot, but that's not something, you're not really getting involved with that whole thing. That's correct. I mean, there is, I, I just point out, you know, there's 
amongst the Ikarishonim, it seems that you know Rashi seems to say uh, quite clearly that the Mishnah was not written down. Well, let me take a step back. Obviously, the Mishnah eventually was written down because we have it. I mean, we have it, and so it's written down at some point in time. Rashi seems to say, uh, Baba Metzia, other places, that um, the Mishnah was not written down in the times of Chazal, in the times of Rabbeinu Hakadosh. It wasn't actually written down at that time. Rabbi Rabbeinu Hakadosh was Masad of the Mishnah, but he didn't actually write it down. The Rambam, in his Akdama to to the Yad. He seems to say he says that that Rabbeinu Akados was mechaber sefer hamishnah, so that that strongly suggests that the Rambam understands that in the times of Rabbeinu Hakadosh it was written down. So I do point out though that machlokus and there's you know a modern there's there is a lot of uh, discussion amongst modern scholars about when exactly the Mishnah was written down, but that's not something I focus on because um, regardless of when the Mishnah actually was written down. At its source, it was Torsha Balpeh, meaning it was supposed to be said Balpeh. It was supposed to be said by heart. And therefore, uh, I, I'm presenting that it was structured in a fashion to facilitate that. So that, that's where we should really go next. Is that, and that is what you start off in the beginning. Before, even Really before the structuring part, you say, oh, it was written. This is the first part in the beginning of the Sefer. It was, sorry, not written. It was composed or organized to be you know, recited by heart, you know, by memory, Balpet. Where do you discuss this? But what are your proofs? I mean, discuss, you discuss this aspect of the Mishnah. So there are a number of sources that explain that the Mishnah uh, is not supposed to be written down. I mean, you have one source in, there's a Midrash Rabbah in Shmos, uh, Shmos Rabbah, where uh, the Midrash relates based on the Pasuk, write down these words, Relates when when Hashem revealed Himself on Har Sinai to teach Torah to Klal Yisrael. Says that He taught Torah to Moshe, Al Seder, Mikra, Mishnah, Talmud, and Agadata. And He said, "Go teach it." He said to Moshe Rabbeinu, "Go teach it to Klal Yisrael." And Moshe Rabbeinu said, "I'm going to write it for them." And Hashem said, "I'm not. I don't want you to write it all down. You can write down the Torah, the Mikra, the Torah Shabbat but not the Torah Shabbat because Hashem understood." That the Umos Olam would, 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 would overcome Kal Yisrael and be Buzuya ben Umos. And so Hashem says there in the Midrash that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was not permitted to write down the Mishnah amongst the other Torah Shabbat Pei. So that's one source. You have another source in Gemara and Gittin, uh, where again it's bringing that same Pusik of Ksodlacha Sadurim Ha'ele. And it asks on another Pusik which says, Ki Alpi Ha'adurim Ha'ele, Hashem is Chorus the Bris. So how does that how does that work? On the one hand, it's saying that we should write down <clears throat> Hashem's words, and the other hand, it says al p, right, which suggests that it's something that's said as opposed to written. And so the Chazal reconcile that by saying devarim shabiksav that things that are written down the mikra omran al p you're not permitted to say them by heart, and devarim shabal p and those things that are bal p, which are uh, oral. You can't say them from being written down. So those are two Icar sources that uh, indicate that the Mishnah, which is part of Torah Shabbat Peh, it's you know, listed as the first thing of the, the first part of the Torah Shabbat Peh, is not meant to be written down. So those are two, those are two Icar sources. So after you point that out, now you go and you 
as you already mentioned or alluded to, that the Chazal went and they structured, Rebbe, the Mishnah was structured in a certain way to fulfill this purpose. So what exactly is that? Just expand a little bit or more than a little bit on that exactly what you mean by that. Well, I guess before we get to that point, Reb Nachi, if we could just go back, I, I think there's a little bit more I'd like to talk about in terms of the Mishnah not being written down uh, at that time. There are a number of Chazals. Uh, this is something I do discuss in, in the Sefer. There are a number of places in Chazal where they, they make a distinction between the words they used talking about Mikra versus the words they used to talk about Mishnah or other Torah Shabbal Peh. So the, 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 the point I'm, I'm trying to bring out is that you have a number of Chazals where when it's referring to Mikra, something that's written, it uses the word Likros, Kore. Whereas when it's talking about Mishnah or Torah Shabbal Peh, it uses a different word of Shone. And that that also indicates how there's a difference between Torah Shabbat the Mikra, and Torah Peh, the Mishnah and the Gemara. One Iker source there would be the, 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 the Gemara in the fifth parak of Erevin, which talks about Ketad Tzedah Mishnah. That's where the title for the Sefer was taken. It's a, it's an Agadada, it's a Chazal there in the fifth parak of Erevin, where uh, it says Ketad Tzedah Mishnah. How was the Mishnah organized? And it says that Moshe learned it from the Pia Gebura. He learned it from the Pia Gebura. And then it says Aaron came in. And it says that Mo, it says Shana lo Moshe Pirko. Moshe was Shone to Aaron his parak. And then it says that Aaron's sons came in. And then he was Shone to them. And then the Zakanim came in. And Moshe was Shone to them. And it, it constantly uses this word Shone. And at the end of that, at the end of that Chazal, says Rabbi Eliezer learns from here. Because each one sort of heard it. Four times it says, mm-hmm. A person has to be shone to his Talmud four times. And there, that's obviously talking about the Mishnah because it says, Ketad Seder Mishnah. So it's talking about Torah Shabbat Pei. And Chazal used that word of shone. There's another interesting Chazal uh, in Megillah where you can see this. You can see this tension between Likros versus Lishnos. There, the, the Gemara says, Chayav Adam Likros is a Megillah, a A person has to be Kore the Megillah at night. But Lishnosa Beyom. It uses again that same Shorish, Shone, Lishnosa Beyom. And then it's based on a Pasuk and Tehillim. And the Gemara goes on to say that. Uh, the Talmudim who heard this, they understood that to mean that they should read the text of the Megillah at nighttime, and then they should go over the Mishnayos of it in the daytime. And Rashi there explains that the, the Bnei Yeshiva, when they heard it in this Lashon of Lishnos in Lashon Kodesh, they thought it means Lashon Shone Mishnah. Right? So there's a difference between being Kore, something that's written, and being Shone, something that's the Mishnah. And so discussing that that's Baal Pei. There's also a very famous Rashi in the beginning of uh, Parshas Mishpatim. We'll get there soon enough, God willing. And um, that's actually a Mechilta that he's bringing. And uh, it, it talks about how uh, Hashem says to Moshe, right? These are the Mishpatim that you should put in front of Kla Yisrael. And so Hashem says, the Mechilta relates, Hashem says to Moshe, don't think that I will be Eshne, the Perak, two or three times. 
until it's sedura befiim, it's organized in their mouths, kemishnasa as its mishnah. So there again, you see this concept of being the shone related to the mishnah and being something that is said. There are other places where Chazal point this out. Uh, there's another Gemara in um, in Brachos, which talks about uh, what certain people who have certain levels of tuma what they can learn, and then there too in that Gemara and that Chazal, when it talks about mikra, it uses the word kore. And then when it talks about Mishnah, it says shone. And um, it says that a person can be shone but regilios, Rabbi Yossi Shita there says. And what are these shone regilios? Rashi there explains, these are the uh, Mishnayos that are studios b'fiv, that he can be motzian b'piv b'merutza. He can say them very quickly. So we see this concept of Mishnah, something that you could be shone, something that you could say, say it over. It's something that you would sort of have by heart. And that would be an oral tradition. Right, and you go through this actually at the word Mishnah, where the word Mishnah comes from and what the word Mishnah means. And it's similar to, to Shani. This a second time, right, you discuss this also at length in the first uh, parak. That's right, about the, the Mishnah relating to repetition. Being Shone is to repeat something. I, I'm suggesting that the word Shone, the Shoresh of Shone, th- th- that word when it's used in relation to Torah um, Shabbat it's referring to repeating over certain words in a certain way to remember them. It's repeating words. It's saying these words. You have a Mishnah in the fourth parak of Tanis, where it says, uh, talking about the Mamados there, how Kal Yisrael could participate in the Korban Tummy that was brought uh, twice a day. And the Mishnah there says that any day there's a Hallel, uh, there's no Mamad in Shacharis. When there's a Korban Musaf, you wouldn't have it at the times of an Elah. And if there's a Korban Eitzim, you would not have this Mamad at Mincha. That's Divrei Rebbe Akiva. That's Rebbe Akiva Shita. So the Mishnah there relates that Amar Lo Ben Azai. Ben Azai says to Rebbe Akiva, Kachaya Rebbe Yeshua Shone. This is what, how Rebbe Yeshua was Shone. So you have to understand what does that mean, Shone means. And then the Mishnah says he's, he was Shone, Korban Musaf. It says a Korban Musaf, Ein Bo Ben Mincha. Then there's no Mamad in Mincha. Korban 18, if there's a Korban 18, then Ein Bo Meni'ila. And then the Mishnah relates, Chaza Rabbi Akiva lias Shone Ke Ben Rabbi Akiva was Shone like what Ben Azai said. And I'm suggesting that what that means is the words Rabbi Yeshua said for this halacha of when do you not have a mamad were, quote, Korban Musaf, Ein Bo Mincha, Korban 18, Ein Bo Meni'ila. And then Rabbi Akiva adopted that Lushan, when he would say over this halacha, obviously he thought about the reasons and, and it wasn't just, you know, he heard it, but thought, thought of the svaras, but um, I'm suggesting that that's what the word shone means. Okay, so now that we established that, that's with the Mishnah, so you discuss how Chazal structured the Mishnah in this way for this purpose. So want to discuss a little bit there what your rias, your proofs are to that and what you discuss about over there in the second, uh, second parak. Okay, so I, I guess I should sort of just you know say at the outset that I, I obviously I can't say that I know definitively why Rabbeinu Hakadosh or why Chazal structured the Mishnah why they did. Uh, you know, there there are many levels, there are many reasons uh, for why Chazal did things the way they did. I mean, there's a safer Hon uh, Ashir which goes through different uh, Kabbalistic reasons for why the Mishnah in terms of prakim, in terms of different words, in terms of different organizations. So there, there are many, many levels that 
uh, Chazal had, and I can't, I can't pretend to say that this is exactly why they did this, and this is the only reason why they did this. But there are sources that um, that show that Chazal did think about uh, re- retaining the Mishnah in terms of how it was organized. So you have one Gemara in in the first parak of Megillah, where the Gemara is talking about the first Mishnah in Megillah, and that first Mishnah. Uh, talks about when Megillah and Grace, when is the Megillah read? And it goes through a list of days. It says Megillah Grace, you know, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th, no earlier and no later. And then the Mishnah goes on to say, you know, how is it, certain cities would read it on, on the 15th, other cities read it on the 14th, except for the villages, they would read it earlier on the Yom HaKanisa. That's what the Mishnah says there. And then the Mishnah goes on to explain how is this? And so then when the mission explains how it is, it says, if the 14th happens to be on a Monday, then the villages would read it on that Monday. If it happens to be on a Tuesday, then the villages would go back to Monday. And it just says the day is of the week. It doesn't tell you what the day of the month is. It just tells you what the day of the week is when the 14th falls out on. So the Gemara asks, the Gemara asks about that. The Gemara says, Mishnah, uh, Reisha, why is it in the beginning of the Mishnah? where it mentions the, the days of the month, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th. And then what, why later in the Mishnah, in that parak, you know, basically the next, what we see as the next Mishnah, it's, it's only talking about the days of the week, and it's not talking about the days of the month. And the way Rashi explains, and the Gemara ends up by saying, he says, I did the, since it gets reversed, Right, since it will get reversed, that's why they um, stick with the days of the week in the and then the Mishnah, not the days of the month. And Rashi explains that what would happen is you'd have the days of the week progressing, you know, second day of the week, third day of the fourth day, and at the same time, the days of the month would be going in the other direction from the fourteenth to the thirteenth to the twelfth. And Rashi concludes by saying, if that's the way it was done. The person who is being shown the Mishnah is going to mix up their girsa. They're not going to be able to remember it correctly. They're going to get confused and they're going to lose it. So that's one place where uh, the way Rashi understands the Gemara and the Gemara's question is that the way, the Mishnah was organized in a way to facilitate memorization. There's also a klal. Uh, that Chazal have, it's in the beginning of Meseches Pesachim, that Le'olam Yishane Adam Le'talmido Derech Ketzara that a person should a Rebbe should say to their Talmud Bishone to their Talmud Derech Ketzara and Rashi explains why is that and he says because a shorter Lushen Miskayemis Girsa Shala Yoser Minaruka that the Girsa Right, whatever it is, whatever is being said over, being taught to the Talmud, that will he'll retain it better. It'll, he'll have a kiyum. Rashi says elsewhere that kiyum means to to retain it. He'll it'll have a kiyum, and and that's something that's uh, it's logical that if you if you say less words, it's easier to remember than if you if you make it very lengthy. So that's a general claw that Chazal have, and, and the Mishnahs you see, they're very 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 terse, they're very succinct, um, and uh, you know. Chazal did that. Uh, I'm suggesting Chazal did that uh, in order to facilitate memorization. So those are those are two sources there. There's also a Teferis Yisrael in the fourth parak of Nesachas um, Erechim, where he, he he talks about the first Mishnah there. That there's different lashonos in the Mishnah that 
there's a question Tosos asked actually on the question of why the Mishnah uses certain words. And there the Teferis the Yisrael goes into a discussion of, he really talks about why is it that there are certain parts of the Mishnah that are missing? Uh, why did Chazal have to point that out? Why didn't they put that into the Mishnah? Why are those parts left out? And the Teferis Yisrael, it's, he's, the Teferis Yisrael explains that there's a cadence, there's a, there's a rhythmic cadence to the Mishnah to facilitate memorization. And that the reason why those parts of the Mishnah are left out is because that's how Chazal structured it in order so that it would have this, 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 this sort of shira to it, this zimra to it, uh, that would facilitate memorization. So those are, those are three sources um, that that indicate that support a notion that Chazal structured the Mishnah in a way to facilitate memorization. And, and on a certain level, you know, a lot of times Chazal asks question on Mishnayos, like why did it say this? And Chazal will give an answer. I did a Tana Reisha Tana Or since it said it in the beginning, it also says it in the end. You know, one example of that would be in the uh, seventh parak of Brachos, where it goes through, uh, you know, who can be part of a zimin. Uh, and, it, and it lists five five different categories. And the fifth category is a shamash achal kazais. Uh, and then in the seifa, it says these are the ones who cannot be part of a zimin. It goes through five categories as well. And the fifth category there is shamash achal pachos mekazais, less than a kazais. And so the Gemara asks on that, says, well, why do you have to tell me that, uh, uh, you already told me a shamash who ate a kazais can be part of a zimin. Why do you have to tell me that a shamash that less cannot be part? It seems it's the Gemara says it's pita, and then the Gemara answers by saying, "I did the Tana Reisha." Since the Reisha, we said Shamash Achal Kazais Tana Seifa. We say in the Seifa, Shamash Achal Pachos Shamash that ate less than Kazais. So, I mean, there are many places where Chazal do this, and the question is, like, w- what exactly is that answer? I mean, what does that mean to say? Since it said it in the beginning, we say it in the end here. What's wh- why is that? So I'm suggesting that that's part of along the lines of what the Tiferes uh, Yisrael is saying, and that there was sort of a balance. There was a structure to the Mishnah that facilitated memor- uh, memorization. You know, having five in the beginning and then five in the end that are sort of mirror images of each other. Uh, that is easy to remember than if it's five in the beginning, five components in the beginning, only four in the end. That's gonna that that's not that's not gonna flow as smoothly. That's not gonna be as easy to remember. Okay, and 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 so really, the second parak there's like seven things that you really go through. Yes, there are seven different uh, points. There are seven different methods that I'm suggesting, and I, I do point out that these are not exclusively for memorization. That these methods here, it's not the only reason. It's not the only reason why Hazal have these sort of structures in there, and. I'm suggesting that there, there are other ways in which Chazal facilitated memorization. I'm just listing, it's not, it's not an exclusive list. I'm just listing seven of them. Uh, so I guess, would you like me to go through some of those? Yeah, you can go through, sure, sure. Okay, so I mean, the first one is, again, the names are names that are, are descriptive names that I, 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 I put those there. Those aren't things that Chazal talk about. Uh, I mentioned that in the Sefer, that this is these are not, for the most part, I mean, Derech, you know, Lashon Katsara, that is something that Chazal talk about in the beginning of Sachim and elsewhere. But the other ones, it's not something that Chazal explicitly say, you know, just so you know, we're doing it this way so that you can memorize it. I mean, there's, I'm not aware of where Chazal actually said that explicitly. But one example would be what I call um, um, uh, 
right? That, that these are repeat phrases uh, where you have certain phrases that appear almost without fail throughout Shas in the exact same format. So like one obvious example would be right? Uh, that group of uh, those three terms together, they appear in many places in Shas and they always appear in the exact same order. So, you know, you sort of take it for granted, uh, but wh- why would Chazal necessarily do that? I mean, they do it everywhere. And that's just one example. Uh, you know, uh, right? That's another, uh, that's another example. There are many, many examples of these sort of phrases that Chazal use um, that are always, almost always, almost always presented in the exact same order. And so I suggest that that is sort of, a, there's, there is a, there's a logic behind it. There's a reasoning behind that. And that is to facilitate memorization because when you do it, when you actually try to memorize the Mishnayos, you see that, that having that, having those repeat phrases being the same, it actually creates this sort of self-reinforcing cycle for somebody's memory. Because when you go over a Mishnah that has a phrase in it, you know, Cherashotibakatan, and then you go over another Mishnah and it has the exact same phrase in it. It's it helps in two ways. First of all, it reminds you of that phrase and how that phrase is said. You're sort of reminding yourself of that phrase, and also that phrase is going to be easier easier for you to remember, so that you're you have less, so to speak, to memorize in the Mishnah because you know, oh, this is just you just have to plug that phrase in there instead of having to memorize Cheresh Shotevakatin. You just plug that phrase in, so to speak. And so in that way, they sort of form these building blocks that, that can form a foundation for the Mishnah that, that make memorization easier. So also, I would just mention at the end of the parak, you have like a like a table, a chart, you know, with colored for the, for the, for the listeners, like with the table with the gray boxes. Yes. So that was just taking an example. I, I, it's the first parak in Tanis. Where just trying to show where if you take a parak and you, and you can see how these different methods uh, manifest themselves, how they express themselves in that parak, where you have a lot of repeat phrases there, you have a lot of phrases in that parak that actually appear elsewhere in Shas, in other Masechtas, in Rosh Hashanah, in Brachos, uh, in, in, in Yoma. And so you, you, you sort of get a sense. I'm trying to highlight how you can see, this is an example where you can see there are different methods that Chazal are using that facilitate memorization. And I guess one last point I want to add is, I mean, there is a logical component to this that, you know, if the Mishnah is Torah Shabbat Peh, which Chazal tells us it is, and if it's not supposed to be written down, uh, which Chazal tells us is the case, then it's logical that it would be organized in a way that would facilitate memorization. That there is a basic logical component to that, right? For sure. So the ne- the next part, um, and I also I don't know if I mentioned this, the 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 safers run 130 pages. It's four. It's the Zakdama. There's four prakim. So four four chapters. So we have to really right four halakim. Four, four halakim. Yes, as you call it. Um, so in the third part, you really discuss is a way or some ways that people can actually learn Mishnah's Balpeh. So why don't you discuss it? How do you, how do you, how did you come up with those? And uh, what do you discuss? So, so uh, thank you, uh, Reb Nachi, for saying a way, because I think there are many ways to memorize Mishnah's. There are many methods. Uh, 
this is a way that has you know worked for me. Uh, and I do think that there are chazals that support this. Um, you know, I, I had started to, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I had started memorizing Mishnayos before I had come across most of these sources. Uh, but as I was memorizing Mishnayos, memorizing Mishnayos, and I was you know, learning different Gemaras, it's part of the Deer Shushir that I was giving involved in. Um, I came across different Gemaras and they really struck me in a different way. And I felt they, they really resonated with me in terms of uh, memorizing Mishnayos. And in particular, when I got to the fifth parak of Erevin, there's really like a blot there um, where they discuss uh, the value of learning in a certain way. And the way they describe it there, it, it really resonated with, with the memorizing of the Mishnahs that I was involved in at that time. So I guess in terms of the way I present it, um, there are four, uh, I, I guess, take a step back. There's, there's two overarching components. I mean, there's the first part is actually memorizing the Mishnah. And then the second part is retaining the Mishnah uh, for more than just a day, a week, you know, even a month, retaining it long term. So in terms of actually learning the Mishnah, so there's a, uh, the first step that I suggest there is to focus just on the Girsa of the Mishnah. Now, what that means, I'm going to refer to it as a text because that's how we have it now, but focusing just on the text of the Mishnah. There is a Gemara in Tanis that seems to support this, uh, where it refers to, it's in the first parak. it talks about uh, Reish Lakish, um, says if you see a Talmud who's, uh, it's very difficult for it to learn, it's because his mission is not stora for him. And it, then it relates how Reish Lakish would uh, go over a Mishnah 40 times, and then he would go before his Rabbi Yochanan. And Rashi explains there, says that he would go before Rabbi Yochanan the Migmar Gemara to, to learn Gemara. And Rashi elsewhere in Baba Metzia and in Brachos explains that Gemara is Svaras Tame Hamishnayos. It's the understanding of the Mishnayos. It's the time for the Mishnayos. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Svaras behind the Mishnayos. So you have this idea of Reish Lakish going over the Mishnah and then going before Rabbi Yochanan to learn sort of the Paris of the Mishnah. So you have there, you see this focusing on just the text first, and then the understanding of what the text means. So that's the first component. That's really sort of the key, because that's that's a different way to approach Mishnayos. I mean, generally, you know, at least, you know, how, how I've done it, how other people have done it that, I, that I'm familiar with, is, you know, you start the Mishnah, and then you go into the Perushim. You go straight into, you know, the Rav, you go into Tosvaz Yanta, whichever parish you're using, you go relatively quickly, you go into that parish. But what I'm presenting here is that that's really a separate limud. There's, there's separate, uh, learning what the Mishnah means is a separate limud from actually memorizing the Mishnah itself. So the first thing is to focus just on the girsa of the Mishnah. And there are, you know, of course, there are quite, there are some quite long Mishnahs, but many, many Mishnahs really are not that long. And, uh, you know, we have, I suggest we have more of an ability to remember things uh, than we give ourselves credit for. Uh, we can remember our addresses. We can remember phone numbers. We, it's not as easy to remember phone numbers these days, but we remember addresses. We certainly remember what people say to us uh, for better and for worse, uh, but we can remember a lot. And uh, so if you look at the Mishnah, many Mishnahs really are not that many words. There's a Mishnah in uh, the third paragraph of Sukkah that has seven words in it. 
you know, that, that is an exceptionally short Mishnah, but um, many Mishnayos don't have that many words to it. And if we focus just on that Girsa, then it's, you couldn't remember it. So that's the first step is just to focus on the Girsa. And there's a question of how do you actually do that? How do you actually memorize it? And that's where the fifth parak of uh, Erevin comes in. Because there, the fifth parak of Erevin, and Erevin brings different chazals about the importance of saying it. You have to actually say it. You can't just read it over with your eyes or think it. You have to actually say it. Right? That those who actually say it with their mouth, you have to say it out loud. Uh, it brings a Misa there in the fifth parak of uh, Bruria. Who bumped into a Talmud who was a Garis Belachisha? He was going over his girsa silently, uh, or at least whispering it, and she she kicked him, and she said, uh, shmura." That if it's if you put in your whole body into it, then you're gonna you're gonna have a shimer. You're gonna you're gonna retain it. If not, it's not gonna have. You're not gonna retain it. And then it also brings a Misa, a student of Rabbi Eliezer, says that he was. Uh, Shone Belachash, he would go over, he would be Shone again, you have that word Shone Belachash uh, silently, and after three years, he he forgot his he forgot his Limud. So you have to say it, you have to say it out loud, and then also based on the Gemara there in Erevin, um, you have to enunciate it clearly, you have to say the words clearly. It says there, the Chazal relate, that uh, B'nai Yehuda, Daike B'lishone, they, they were very Medayak in the Lashon, and Niskaima Torah Sambiyadan, they retained their Torah. That's Rashi explains Niskaima Biyadan that they had they retained it, they remembered it. Whereas B'nai Galil, the people of the Galil, they were not Medayak in their Lushan, they were not careful with their Lushan, and they forgot it. And, and, and Chazal, they're bringing an example of what it means that they weren't careful in the Lushan. And it relates a story of somebody who was walking and they said, Amar Laman, Amar Laman. They said this phrase, Amar Laman, Amar Laman. And, and somebody said, What are you saying? Do you mean that you're looking for a donkey? Are you looking for wine? Are you looking for some wool? Are you looking for an animal to shecht? Like he wasn't saying it clearly. And so enunciating the words clearly, that helps to remember the girsa. So that's that's sort of the steps that I present based on Chazal for memorizing the Mishnah. That's sort of the first step is actually just memorizing the Mishnah. Then there's the retaining part of it. So the retaining part of it, uh, there, um, you know, there are a number of chazals. I mean, there, there is the the chazal I mentioned in Tanis, where it says Rabbi Reish Lakish would go over Mishnah forty times before he'd go before his rabbi Rabbi Yochanan, and it says that Rav Arbar Hava would go over the Mishnah twenty four times before he'd go before his Rav Rava, and so um, suggest that going over the girsa. 24 or 40 times, um, that's going to help have uh, retention. Rashi there, if I'm not mistaken, Rashi there and Tanis says he, they would go over it so that they would have it. In other words, they would have it in their hands and then they would go before their rabbi. And so, you know, doing it 40 times, 24 times in one day, that's that's quite a lot. Um, but spreading it out, if you do it over 24 days or 40 days, that's not as much because, you know, if you're saying a Mishnah, if you think about it, just saying the Mishnah, uh, depending on the size of the Mishnah and how well a person knows it, but it could take five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, depending depending on the Mishnah. And so going over it over these days, that's a way that a person can really get it down. Um, and that's sort of, I present that as what I call local Hazara, sort of a cycle of 
going over them for 24 or 40 days to retain them, uh, to be able to retain them long-term. And that long-term uh, retention is a separate cycle of Chazara that I call global Chazara. Uh, and that's based on a 30-day cycle. And that too is based on different Chazals. There's a Chazal in Ksubis, which talks about um, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa, that he was going to pass away. The Malach, he was he had he had with the Malach Amavis. He had he had, he was a uh, Shuzvine, I think it says. And uh, the Malach Amavis went and appeared to him before uh, he was going to die, and and was going to do what Rav Chinuna Bar Papa wanted. And so Rav Chinuna Bar Papa, Bar Papa asked for thirty days so that he could be closer on his his learning. And he says because it says Ashrei Mi Shabalakan, fortune is the one who comes here, referring to Olam Abba. Uh, and he has his Talmud in his hand. The other places where Rashi explains having your Talmud in your hand means you remember it. So going over 30 days, that a 30-day cycle would enable somebody to uh, retain things for more of a long-term retention. So that's sort of what I present there. Okay, so then the final final part, uh, the fourth part of the book, you discuss kind of like a machshava musr kind of thing about why uh, people should learn it by heart. So, yes, um, I, I guess is the question, why did I include that or where does that come from? Right, I guess I got to kind of open-ended over there. I guess, yeah, where does that come from? And also, also right, why did you decide to include that? It's it's not, not of course, it's relevant to the rest of the safer, but like it's a little different than, than the first three parts. Well, I, I guess... Sort of to answer that question, I, I think that sort of goes to why I even wrote this safer in the first place. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really set out to write a safer when I started learning Mishnayos. It wasn't my goal that I was going to ultimately write a safer. I didn't imagine that. It wasn't something that I had ever thought I would do. Um, but over time, as I went through more of Mishnayos and as I went through more of the Gemaras, I had a lot of ideas. I had a lot of ideas that were sort of bubbling up inside of me. And I felt like I had something inside of me. And I, I originally actually just started to send myself emails every now and then to sort of organize my thoughts, get them down. Um, and then eventually I got to a point where I, I, I spoke to a number of my rebam to see, you know, is this legitimate? You know, is this, is, 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 what am I doing here? Is this, is this an appropriate thing to be doing? And they were very supportive of that. And uh, I really felt like I had something inside of me. And so I originally was going to write down just some thoughts uh, for myself, for my own kids. Uh, And I just started writing it. And it wasn't, I didn't think I was going to be writing a safer. And I I, I thought it would be maybe four pages, five pages. I originally started writing in English. But then I realized that it was really about the Lushan of, you know, Lashona Mishnah. It was a Lushan of Chazal. And so I switched over to Hebrew um, and it just kept on, kept on expanding. There kept on being more thoughts to put down and eventually it got, got rather large. And uh, I mean, it's not such a big safer, but, um, and then I had something, I had a chifetz and, and I brought it to some Arabeim and I showed it to them and I asked them, I said, is this something valuable? Is this something that would help other people? Um, and as I was writing it, you know, I was writing almost as much for myself as I was for other people. And for myself, as somebody who's, you know, in the workforce, who's out of yeshiva, uh, you know, it's always been a struggle, something that I've always tried to find opportunities 
to strengthen my Torah learning, to stay connected to the Torah as much as I can. Uh, when you spend most of your day in an office uh, with people who are uh, very different, you know, they're very good people, but you know, some of them are good, some of them are not as good. But but there are di- different different types of people, and there's all sorts of influences. And so for me, this mahalach has given me a, a real sense of sipuk and nefesh in terms of growing in Torah and having sort of a tachbulas, having some sort of a, 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 a way to try and counteract the very strong influences that are out there and the strong winds that are blowing. And so for, you know, presenting that in the Sefer, I thought was an important idea because really, I mean, I say in the Hakdama that I, I do think that, you know, anybody who's involved in learning can benefit from this Mahalach. I, I do emphasize that this is not, I'm not at all suggesting that this should be in place of, you know, learning Gemara and Rashi and Tosavos and all the other, the Rishonim and the Achronim, not at all, but this could actually supplement that type of learning, that it can, it can help a person's learning when they get the Mishnahs down, they can approach the Gemara with a different perspective. They can, you know, it helps them clarify where in the Gemara is, where they're quoting a Mishnah, you know, what's the Kasha on this uh, Mishnah, on the Lashon of the Mishnah, on the order of the Mishnah. But the point is that I do say that I do think it could help anybody who's learning, but the Iker, I think it helps those who are not able to sit in learning for extended periods of time. They really don't have so much time for a Seder during the day. The, the, one of the milas of this Derech Alimud is that a person can do it wherever they are. In other words, they can be walking down the street and they can say over the Mishnah. They can be waiting at a, at a street corner. They can say the Mishnah. They can be on their way to shul. And they can say over the Mishnah, right? They don't have to have the Sefer with them. They don't have to be sitting in a basement. Obviously, the basement is a Makom Kadosh. It is, it is the Iker place where a person should be learning to the extent that they can. But uh, this enables those who are out in the world to sort of have the Torah with them. They bring the Torah with them wherever they are. And so that that Chalik and, and, and sort of giving the Chizik for that, I felt that that was something important to include. Okay, so so finally, I would ask you is so who do you envision now the safer meant for? Who did you who do you envision picking up? Is it just anyone? Is it someone working? What what, what do you think? So I, so I do write that I think it could really benefit those who want to who have yeshiva background but who ha, who are no longer. Uh, able to sit in learning to the same extent and want to continue to grow in their learning. It can give a person a sense. And it's not just, you know, it's not just a sense. They are growing in their limit Torah. So I, I envision people who are not learning full-time anymore, but who want to continue their growth in Torah, buying it. I do think it could help a lot. Those who are learning in base Midrash all day, I, I do think that it could help them in terms of their clarity in their learning uh, you know, obviously younger people tend to have a better memory. So I think that it would be easier for them to memorize Mishnah. So I do think it, it could help younger people, but I think anybody who wants to grow in their limited Torah, I think it could help them. Okay. It's very interesting. And, um, I will, I'll try to include a, a link in the, in the show's notes for where people can uh, purchase it. And, uh, it should be available though in, in farm stores as well. Right. Well, they have it at Eichler's in Borough Park. Uh, Zieberman Books, Zieber, Zieberman Books has it online, uh, and I know other farm stores have it as well here in America. And and it and Eretz Israel, they have it as well. Okay, very interesting. So, 
with that, thank you very much for joining me to discuss about your safer. Thank you, Rebnachi. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, my pleasure.